I've really always tried to to do that, right? Bring the science to the really practical side. I've I've always considered myself an an applied scientist um, and trying to do things that you know whether it's research or something new and innovative, but keep my mind on we can apply this tomorrow if it works, right? And so so let's, that's always kind of how I've approached things, and and because of that, you know that big thing that we should all pay attention to, but maybe sometimes forget is water. And so, so I've constantly, uh, you know, kind of keep water on my mind when I'm in a barn, when I'm in a facility of any type. One of the first things I do is just, you know, casually checking nipples, checking, you know, where the water is flowing, is, is things running the right way? Um, because sometimes it's the little things that are overlooked, but it's really important. And so, and some of the work we, we've done is, is to, um, you know, look at, the, again, the simple things, flow rate, water quality, and, and but looking at those things and just de- making sure that are we doing them right? Are we following recommendations or are the recommendations right? And, and so, again, it's, it's things that may be overlooked, but really practical stuff that are going to drive production efficiency, drive feed intake, and, and hopefully lower cost. Swallow It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. At a sale provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe and sustainable way. AB Vista, New nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. AccuFast. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Start creating your future today at AccuFastSwine.com. FeedFlow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Take control with FeedFlow. Welcome to our latest edition of Swine It Podcast. I'm Jerry Purvis, your host. And today we have a distinguished guest, Dr. John Holt. John, welcome to the podcast today. Well, good morning, Jerry. Thank you for having me. Very good. You know, John, uh, I've known John for quite a while and uh, and uh, being both in North Carolina and NC State, so, uh, but maybe some of our viewers uh, don't know you quite as well. So you take just a minute and just tell us a little bit about your background and <clears throat> how you got to where you are today. Okay, absolutely, Jerry. Um my name's John Holt. Uh, I grew up in Worthington, Minnesota, so I'm a, a native of Southwest Minnesota. Uh, always grew up with a ag and farming background. Um, my education is through University of Minnesota. Um, at uh, my both my undergraduate and master's degree there, um, and that's where I started getting my my love for research and the research process. Um, and then it was time for a little bit of a change, so so I moved to North Carolina at the time. Uh, to do my PhD at NC State. After that, I, I've uh, had a mix of both industry and academic positions. Um, and then for the last two years exclusively, I've been running my own consulting business, uh, Integrated Animal Nutrition, where I work with um, companies and producers in swine, poultry, and aquaculture, uh, really just being that technical person for them. Uh, helping out with um, research studies, with production issues. And uh, so that's really a lot of fun to, to get out there, 
work with different species, but also apply some of the same concepts of all species and, and helping others. And then uh, a little bit of something new as well. Uh, just a couple months ago, a, a partner of mine and I have founded a, a new company uh, called Mintrition Technology, uh, which is going to be based on a mineral supplement uh, patent that, that we worked on at NC State and have decided to go forward with too. So lots of, lots of new things happening again for me. Curious to discover if you can manage your animal data and teams work with the touch of a finger? Some of the best and largest pig farm holdings worldwide use cloud farms to collect and analyze data like never before. How? With the most advanced mobile app to collect data accurately and super fast. For breeding, farrowing, weaning, and finishing. Also, this is the easiest way to assign tasks to your team and motivate to work more efficiently. You instantly understand what gets done on time and what doesn't. So yes, you can manage your animal data with the touch of a finger. Very good. You know, um, John, uh, like I said, as I mentioned, I've known you uh, quite a bit. And I always, one of my favorite profess uh, professors at, at State, NC State, uh, because you do have that, you know, that background of academia and and industry. So I thought, you know, you always seem to be looking at things that uh, that really impact producers and really things that we can take and, and use every day, utilize to help us do our job better. So um, just just uh, just thinking, uh, you know, also the big rocks, you know, sometimes we we uh, you always you're looking at things that uh that really we should be looking at or talking about. And sometimes we don't, maybe we assume too much. And, uh, but these are the big things that really impact, you know, our performance and uh, our production at our facilities. So let's just dive right in. You know, what, uh, uh, I know you're doing a lot of work with, with looking at uh, water uh, quality and. Sure. Yeah, Jerry. And I appreciate that because I, I uh, that comment, because I've, I've really always tried to, to do that, right? Bring the science to the really practical side. I've, I've always considered myself an, an applied scientist um, and trying to do things that, you know, whether it's research or something new and innovative, but keep my mind on, we can apply this tomorrow if it works, right? And so, so let's, that's always kind of how I've approached things. And, and because of that, you know, that big thing that we should all pay attention to, but maybe sometimes forget is water. And so, so I've constantly, uh, you know, kind of keep water on my mind when I'm in a barn, when I'm in a facility of any type. One of the first things I do is just, you know, casually checking nipples, checking, you know, where the water is flowing. Is, is things running the right way? Um, because sometimes it's the little things that are overlooked, but it's really important. And so and some of the work we, we've done is, is to, um, you know, look at the again, the simple things, flow rate water quality and and but looking at those things and just making sure that are we doing them right are we following recommendations or are the recommendations right and and so again it's it's things that may be overlooked but really practical stuff that are going to drive production efficiency drive feed intake and and hopefully lower cost yeah so true uh totally 100 agree um the flow rates you know go in barns and uh you know, it, it seems like it's the thing. We worry about a lot of things uh, that we're trying to find out. And it's, it's really probably the things that we assume are being done right uh, that aren't is really what is killing us sometimes. And and, and uh, so, yeah, flow rates, you go in barns and uh, we assume 
that those animals are, are getting all the water they need. Uh, but that's not always the case. And, and uh, you know, trust, but, but verify, I guess, is what you have to look at. But on water, what, what are some of the things on water that you, um, I know you mentioned uh, water quality. What were some of the things you, you know, you, you were able to find maybe uh, things that uh, you didn't expect uh, as you dove into looking at water quality? Yeah, so, so with water quality, one of the things we did was just kind of take a, a survey across the state, and, and I know some other places have done this as well, but uh, other states, but looking at just some samples of the wide geographic location in, in North Carolina and, and, you know, determining do they fit the recommendations and where, you know, where are some of those mineral levels? We hear about iron a lot and iron is a problem in North Carolina and a lot of our water. And, and so where are, what are we seeing in the field and how does that compare uh, to, to what published recommendations might be, but then turning around and looking at production records on top of that, right? So, so do we see any difference in performance of a barn, um, because of high levels of iron or, or other, you know, uh, you know, recommendations on water. Usually I was looking at the mineral levels. Um, and, and really what we see, Jerry, is there's a wide variety out there in the facilities. Um, some meet the recommendation, you know, the, that are out there. Some don't. But at the end of the day, it, it usually doesn't seem like it's affecting performance that much. The pigs are still drinking, the water's still being used, so we, we know it's going through, and, and we don't see any adverse uh, performance based on those published recommendations. So, so yeah, the pig is, is pretty resilient, it seems, uh, and maybe we're, we're, we're making it a little more complicated uh, the animal figures out, uh, unless we get, you know, out in a ditch somewhere with some, some issue, like you said, you know, so the, the pig's going to be able to pretty much, uh, uh, acclimate to that water source. And, and as producer, you know, it's, it's all about performance. Uh, we're looking for things that uh, impact performance. So do you, so you think a lot of the recommendations probably need revisiting, uh, yeah, I do, uh, Jerry. That's right. I, I think, you know, uh, a lot of those recommendations and, and there's some that come out of Europe and there's there's some that are come out of the U.S. They're they're fairly dated, which is, you know, OK. doesn't mean we shouldn't look back at 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 older work sometime. Um, but I do think they're they're probably in need of, of some some revision and and maybe a little less tight on some of those. Um, you know, especially mineral levels and some of those things where, where is it really something that's going to affect the animal? Um, so, so I do, I, I think that needs to be done. Um, you know, it, it's not a, it's not a sexy science thing, right? Water, it's, it's uh, maybe, maybe something that is hard to get some funding for. Um, but I think, it, you know, there's probably uh, enough of us out there that would be willing to, to get together collectively and, and try to, to put those recommendations together. But, but I do think it needs some revision and, and mostly to just open it up a, a little, I think, and be a little less strict on, on some of those quality factors that might be published out there today. And, and then maybe some need some just revisit and, and see some of the science or, 
or like I said, a, a survey over time with some performance data behind it is, is not too hard to, to find. Um, and that would be enough, I think, to, to kind of re, rewrite some of those recommendations. Yeah, and that's in your uh, uh, practicality form. You know, it, I think that's perfect because you get a you get a sample back, you get your water tested, and you look at these things. Okay, this is out of the range. Well, is that do I need to worry about that? You know, I, and in a lot of cases, you can't do anything about it. I mean, your water is what is where you're at, and it's what it is. There's some things you you can you can impact, but uh, so do you worry? You know. Are, you, are we worried about something that's, that's not maybe a big issue? So I think that's that's very – the more things we can cross off to worry about, we can spend more time worrying about the things that we can't <laughs> – that, can that do make difference. If, if we look at um, the flow rate, I know you mentioned uh, and some of our producer, viewers are not producers or maybe not really. How impactful is that to that intake? We know the animal grows because it eats. But how much impact is the water? Yeah, and, and I think that's probably where we need to spend more time, you know, in the barn, maybe less concerned about quality and more concerned about quantity, right? So, so are, the, are the pigs getting the amount they need? And so when we look at flow rates and, and some of those published, so, so we think about just look at nursery, for example. If you've got a nipple drinker in nurseries, and, and the, the, the recommendation out there is probably one to two cups per minute, right, coming out of the, the, the nipple. So, so are you checking that and are you checking every pen, okay, because, you know, the pens at the front of the, the barn or the front of the room likely are different than the pens at the middle and at the far end of the, of the room. So, so you need to take some of those simple things, cups per minute. Well, how many nipples do I have? How many pens are in that room? And is the flow even going into the room? So you should, you might be able to check that in the pipe going into the room. Does that, is that capable of handling or is that even pumping the water in there that, that you need? And, and so, you know, again, simple things that, that are going to drive intake, especially in a nursery situation where the first thing we want, you know, wean them in and put them in a nursery or whatever facility. And the first thing you want is feed intake. But the first thing that's really going to happen is water intake. Yeah. Yeah. To your point, uh, that, that wean pig is, 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 is taking in a lot of milk and, and that's where they're milking. And, you know, now they got to learn where a new source of water, that water is coming, from, you know, coming. And so they got to learn source. They're stressed. They're, they're in, you know, the social stress. And uh, many times, you you know, if you don't get that animal drinking, they're not going to eat. So you, it's, it's imperative. A lot of them are dehydrated, you know, that first first day. You're just not taking in the amount of, uh, of water. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty impactful. Uh, you know, you were talking about flow rates. It's like we we uh, we really don't notice that there's a water issue uh, unless there's no water, <laughs> and then we, we worry about that. We fix that problem, but you know we're probably limiting that that pen or uh, or that house because that flow rate is not what it needs to be. Yeah, and so so I think that's true, and I I think what most people will probably see first, Jerry, is why aren't they eating? Right. We we notice a full we notice a full pan of feed 
or a feeder that isn't going down as much as the other pens. And the first thing we think is, oh, they're not eating. You know, first thing I do in that situation is check the water. And and so um, usually even within a room, that one nipple might be plugged. You might have, you know, for whatever reason, especially, you know, early nursery diets, a lot of milk content, a lot of specialty ingredients, those things get into a nipple and can plug it in pretty quick, right? The pig eats, the pig goes and drinks. And, and so those things happen, but you restrict water and you're going to restrict feed. I, we've done some of that. Um, a, a data set I'm working with right now um, is we went in and, and we were looking at growth performance, but I also went in and checked the flow rates in every pen uh, a couple of times throughout the nursery trial. And so what I did was leave the flow rates alone as long as they were within that recommended range. But we looked at feed intake and then I'm putting that back on top of the flow rates. And I think what we'll find is even though all of them met the requirements of one to two cups per minute, the the pens on the higher side, two or even higher, um, had a little bit higher feed intake. And, and so, you know, while we look at the water quality and say, well, maybe we don't need as much focus there and need to rewrite those recommendations, some of these flow rates are maybe the one where we say, hey, we, we've dealt with these for a while and, and maybe a little more or a little less here and there also needs some revisiting. But, but really paying attention to that flow rate and making sure it's, it's the same in the barn or if you're in a research setting and you're really paying attention, you know, you want to record feed intake is an outcome, growth rate, those flow rates really need to be the same so that we make sure it's not water intake restricting your feed intake and showing up as a, you know, an, an outcome uh, that, that you, you weren't expecting. And, and so really, though, you know, those flow rates can make a lot of difference. And, and uh, we see that um, even, again, recommendations are there, but if you're on the low side, you still might be restricting. And if you're on the high side, it's maybe too much. Right. It, it, it all comes back to covering the basics, the, the, the making sure you're doing those things right first. Uh, so, yeah. Now, you, you were talking while we're on flow rates. Um, how about in the uh, to a lactating sow? Uh, how important is that? Yeah, so so there's another big one, and and anybody that's had me walk a barn with them knows in, in a sow barn I'm always checking nipples and and maybe get barn managers cringing sometimes, but but you know if the expectation of that sow, uh, you know we're trying to get her to eat 15 pounds or more feed per day during lactation and and maybe you know upwards of 20 during peak lactation, the recommendation out there is four cups a minute you know, that might be, I don't know, 16, 10, you know, 10 gallons a day or more. And, and so that's a tremendous amount of water for a, for a lactating sow. And, you know, sometimes I grab these nipples that are just barely trickling and, and you know that that sow is not going to get um, the amount of feed she needs with that amount of water. It's, it's got to be easy for the sow to get um, and, and it's got to be readily available for her. Yeah. So, so really her, her milk output is really, uh, related to her, her water intake and being able to consume enough water. Uh, how, how would you compare, I know, uh, uh, to a dairy cow, a, uh, a lactating sow as far as milk output? 
Yeah. So on a on a per pound basis, um, I, I probably get the numbers wrong if I try and remember them off the top of my head. But on a on a pound for pound basis, that lactating sow is really producing as much, if not more, than than a you know a high producing Holstein dairy cow. And, and so um, we think about a dairy cow consuming a bathtub full of water a day. Uh, you know, we know that we've got uh, a lactating sow that's got to consume um, a tremendous amount of water for her body weight as well. And, and so any restriction, um, whether that's in the, in the individual sow or, again, trying to remember how many, pen, how many sows are in that farrowing room, is the flow going into the barn, into the room even enough uh, that if all the nipples are going at the same time, is there enough water coming into that room to meet the needs of every sow? And so those are the little things that we have to remember when you look at water. It's, it's not always just the individual sow either. It's have we um, taken the time to look at what's water going into the room? And is that enough to cover every sow if she wanted to drink at the same time? Right. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, you, you've done some work in minerals. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, some of your work there with, uh, with minerals. Sure. So uh, this kind of goes into to our new venture a little bit. Um, but, you know, um, for a while now, I've been really interested in uh, the antimicrobial properties of zinc oxide. Um, and, and we know that that as, uh, you know, regulations become, uh, keep coming down the pipeline. Um, we've been limited on the use of some of our antimicrobials. And for a time, that probably increased the amount of pharmacological levels of, of mineral and especially zinc. It's been known for, for a while that zinc oxide is a, is a great replacement for antibiotics, especially in nursery pig diets. Um, and so that practice really took off and now we're seeing the environmental side uh, come back on, on zinc and potentially some other minerals as well. Um, so we've really been, been focused on, um, you know, the best way, uh, how can we replace those high levels of zinc oxide? And, and so whether that is different forms of, of zinc that we can try and get into the lower gut or um, ways to encapsulate uh, minerals to get them a little bit more targeted approach um, to, to where they're needed. We, we know that um, like zinc chloride, for example, is highly soluble. So the reason zinc oxide works so well is, is it's not very soluble and, and, and not very well absorbed in the system. So it stays in the gut and has its cleansing effect. Um, so zinc oxide, a different approach um, when, it, when those mineral forms are so soluble they might not be. Uh, they might not provide the antimicrobial benefit the same the same way. Um, so really, just figuring out how to target that mineral um, to the animal. Right. Now, it is um, you mentioned in, uh, an encapsulation? How is that uh, going to improve that product or that zinc uh, and and the reaction that the the, the animal. Uh, that it has on, in that lower gut. How does how is this this encapsulation? Maybe explain that a little. Maybe some 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 of our viewers maybe don't don't understand 
Yeah, so in encapsulation and, and works in other species as well, but but really the 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 concept behind any type of, of encapsulation is you you make that product less uh, absorbable early in the in the digestive tract, right? So so when you've got a mineral source, um, once it passes through the, the the stomach, hits the small intestine that's typically where a lot of the nutrient absorption happens, right? So when you get the highly soluble minerals like the chloride forms, those are easily uh, digested and absorbed in the small intestine. Uh, A product like zinc oxide that's less soluble continues to pass. If you get high levels of it, it's going to pass to the lower gut. And the lower gut is really where uh, the, the... the bacteria and the, you know, the, the infections can occur. And that's really the spot where we're trying to uh, reduce the amount of bacteria. So the idea behind encapsulation is can you encapsulate a product um, so you can get by that first round of absorption of the small intestine, you know, maybe not 100%, uh, you know, passing, but, but a, enough of it passing, you know, meet the animal's nutrient requirements pass the rest to the lower intestine where um, now um, the encapsulation has broken down enough that the product, whether it's mineral, whether it's other nutrients, are released from the encapsulation in the large intestine where they can have its uh, intended effect. So in the case of zinc, can you get enough zinc passed through um, the small intestine absorption released into the large intestine where it can have its antimicrobial effect? And, And so the, the larger part of that is hopefully if you can encapsulate a more digestible form of the mineral, you're, you're, passing, you're needing less, right? So you think about zinc oxide that goes in at, at 3,000 parts per million to get enough delivered to the lower uh, track. Encapsulation, hopefully you can deliver less. You don't need as high a level, um, that, and still get it into the large intestine to, to, to work the way it should. And, and so then the, the outcome of that is you're still meeting the antimicrobial needs of, uh, of reducing those pathogens, but you're excreting much less uh, out, the, out the back end that we'd have to worry about environmentally. All right, yeah, that's a good point. You know, uh, as a producer, you know, E. coli is a pathogen that we, we – uh, we struggle with in that wing pig and, uh, and zinc oxide is a great tool, as you said, um, you know, antibiotics, but, uh, you know, we don't have antibiotics. We're moving away from those. Uh, and now we're moving into, uh, as we see in Europe, you know, their levels of zinc, uh, they can only use, uh, what is it? 200, is it 250? Nothing, nothing, not, not a level that's going to help us. Uh, so, so it sounds like this product maybe will give us, or the, this type of technologies will allow us to, to, to get the same performance uh, out of the zinc, but use less. Yeah, the, you know, that's the hope is that, is that we're more efficient with the, the amount that we are using, right? And, and so, so for us, uh, and, and encapsulation is out there, right? There, there's, there's um, other products uh, that use a different a different type of encapsulation, so so it's out there, um, you know, and and so that's good. I mean, it's just really um, 
finding those ways that that we can um, you know make the animal more efficient, make the nutrients we're providing more efficient. As we know, it's going to keep coming, right? You mentioned Europe; um, they put the a hard stop on that pharmacological use, and and when you look around, um, some of those things tend to work them way work their way over here uh, in terms of regulation. So we've got to be on the on the lookout, and and I think it makes a lot of sense. And and you know, you think about other minerals that might benefit from that too. Um, thinking about that targeted approach or slower release. Um, you know, there, there might be some opportunities and maybe it's not swine, you know, maybe it's other, other species or even other industries that can benefit from a slower release, uh, of a nutrient. You know, I'm thinking about crops and things like that, that, that you are providing nutrients today in the soil or right to the, to the animal, to the plant. And some of these technologies might be able to help all that be more efficient with the targeted approach. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's uh it's really about being able to deliver these to get the same response, but being able to deliver and to be more uh, efficient with our resources and, and with these these trace minerals like we we're talking about, you know, and, and take away that environmental uh, issue that we have um, using these farm levels of, of stuff, but. Um, and that, that kind of leads us into, I know you and I talked before, is sustainability, you know, and, and trying to figure out um, how do we manage these resources as, uh, as, as even as you're saying water, you know, water is probably going to be a, um, a resource we don't think about. We always think we got plenty of water, but uh, that's probably going to be a bottleneck going forward with, uh, with the growth. And uh, so... So, yeah, maybe you've done some work looking at uh, sustainability and looking at maybe speak a little bit about uh, sustainability and how we improve that. Yeah, I think, you know, I think everybody's everybody's trying to to figure out the needs for that. And certainly companies are aware of it and, and, and trying to look. And that, that's, you know, a good point. It's it's environmental sustainability. It's business sustainability. It's it's uh, you know animal welfare sustainable. You know, there's a lot of different buckets there, but but, the, but these two things definitely fit, right? Water, uh, water is certainly uh, an issue. I think we've we've seen uh, some of that already. Um, you know, you look out west, you look to California. They're they're dealing with water issues, and and can you know anytime we see areas of a state or the country that are are going to be shut off from from water use at certain times a day or certain times a year. Um, that's certainly a problem for, for agriculture, you know, and, and livestock production for sure that you can't just turn the water off on a dairy barn or, or, a, or a sow farm. Um, so, so I think those are real issues um, that, that we see going forward. Are, are we going to be able to, to, you know, place livestock production, or are they going to have to move into areas where we know we've got uh, continued resource use? And and I think on one end, that's is there enough water? On the other side, is is there enough uh, land to meet potential environmental uh, regulations on these minerals that that we're using, or or other other components, even manure itself, you know, we look, we, you know, we tend to think about nitrogen phosphorus. Most of our recommendations are, are, are our regulations are around phosphorus. So, 
So we got to look at these areas and, and, and that has to come into the sustainability question. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's almost, um, uh, there's a lot of, uh, we look at water and I think in our company, we started looking at water. Uh, and so some of these things make sense, you know, financially, but, uh, if we start controlling, uh, if we can use less resources, uh, and still get the same production, then, uh, we're more efficient and we're more financially, uh, viable. So, so they kind of go together, you know, we, we've all got to, and, and most, I think a lot of non-farmers don't realize most of, most farms or, or production facilities are made up of, of, of family farms. Many of them have lived on, you know, on this land for generations and, and they want to, you know, they want to leave that land to their, uh, to their children in better condition than when they inherit it. So I think there's a, there's a real, uh, sometimes we think farmers are, uh, are out here trying to, you know, farmers are concerned about sustainability, you know, but they also are concerned. They have to be financially viable. So, you know, the technologies, I think that's where the need is, is to find these, these new technologies to help us, uh, become more better stewards of our, you know, of our land. We're, and I always like to ask, um, cause I know you're, you're a big thinker. You're thinking about outside the box. What do you think, you, your crystal ball, what do you think are some of the technologies or things that we might see in the future coming down the pipe? Yeah, that, you know, that's a good question. We, we, we all, I'll make one, one comment too on that sustainability that you mentioned though, Jerry, remember, you know, our industry, livestock for sure, um, are one of the first recyclers, right? Like we, we've been doing this sustainably for a long time. And using using byproducts, um, you know, using things that would end up in a landfill um, and turn them into feed and food for people, and and so that's a message we we need to continue to to tell that story. But but when I look at you know look at what technologies are coming, um, you know, a, another thing I've spent a little bit of time on and still very intrigued because it, it's new and it's coming out there, but. But when we start thinking about, um, and it goes into this idea of targeted nutrition, I think as well. Um, but really, the the use of sensors and and artificial intelligence in the barn, right? Because if there's one thing, I think there's a shortage, um, and we know this has been a problem for a while. But there's there's a labor shortage in, in our industry, and and a little bit of that, I think, is that gap of people don't grow up on the farm anymore. And, and so it, it's not as easy to see yourself in a farm uh, when, when you, you think about where you want to work. Um, but, but I think the, the use of, of sensor technologies, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be cameras, right? But sensors, cameras, um, things in barns that, that are going to reduce the amount of hours that we might have to spend in a barn, and, and I might be able to sit here while I'm talking to you and have my other computer monitor that, that's given me a reading of what's going on in the barn. And, and I'm 30 miles away or 100 miles away or maybe across the ocean and, and can be checking in on my barn. Um, but then getting enough data from sensors and cameras that we can start training um, AI and things in the barn to, to warn us when we really need to do something. 
And, and I think that can go down to the pen level, Jerry, and maybe someday the pig level. When we think about RFID tags and the ability to tag an animal so that we can follow that animal through the day and know it's been at the feeder, it's been at the water, it's moving around, and then a, you know, a computer in the barn saying, yep, all these pigs are fine, or an alarm that's going off and saying, you know what, Jerry, pig number 500 and pen 50 doesn't seem right today, and we might need to check that out, and maybe to the level of saying, this is a, a farm manager that needs to be there or call the vet, right? Just get the vet right to the farm because it, it's a serious thing that, that's happening. Um, I think those tools are going to really help in terms of labor. And I think it's going to really help when we talk about targeted nutrition too, you know, growth rates and sensors that can weigh the animals from a camera. We've got the technology to say, hey, this pen is reaching this weight. It's time to change the diet, but we're going to leave the other pens alone because they're growing a little slower. And and so that, again, that targeted approach to to a pen or even an individual animal someday, um, I see it as a real benefit of, of using the technology that, that we've got today and making it better. Yeah, that's a very good point. It, it seems... Uh you know, just in the last five years, we look at the techno- technological advances and, and how fast things are changing. And, uh, you know, it seems uh, maybe maybe our, our, uh, our colleagues or maybe our, our, our industry is not quite as uh, on the curve as the poultry guys. But uh, I think it's slowly, it's slowly, uh, you know, we got a lot of old, you know, myself, you know, uh, I'm not real old, but... Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of farmers that are older than I am, you know, and just really not are hesitant about technology and, uh, and, and putting that in. You know, we're scared of things we don't understand, I think. Uh, so, yeah. But uh, what do you think? So, if it, it seems as technology, you're saying technology is, is, uh, is, in, uh, is, is where we're going to learn more about and, and use that precision, being able to, you know, apply that resource, uh, that feed, be it feed, be it maybe even behavior, you know, understand how, how does the animal behavior, you know, maybe is that an indicator that that animal's, you know, getting ready to be sick or something. Or we notice that animal is now, you know, because you walk in a barn, you know, you're there five minutes, but uh, that pig's in there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's really hard to me. I think we if we find something that can, monitor that behavior and being like you said even AI is, is being able to be in front of that pig and maybe treat treating that pig or, or separate you know if he's fighting or whatever uh, so yeah what do you what do you think are the maybe the the walls that are keeping us from really moving quicker on some of this technology? Yeah. So, you know, you, you mentioned that the poultry side uses some and the dairy side, of, uh, of course, right? When, when you talk about automating uh, some of the things they've done, you know, dairy's been at it for a long time. It's a little bit different animal, though, right? You've, you've got that, that dairy cow can have its individual tag and a little easier to trace in a barn and, and stays to themselves where pigs are going to, you know, be curious and trying to rip out tags. I think that that's probably where it starts, right? A, a little bit. And that's based on, on the behavior that you mentioned. 
hard to put a good tag on a pig um, that, that we're going to be able to follow it around all day long. Um, but that technology is there. The, the other thing we've got, you know, we got to remember at the end of the day, the processors are taking, taking ears and everything else, right? Everything but the oink is used out of that pig. That's what I like to say, right? And so, so um, you know, there's a market for, for that ear. And do we have a market for it if it's got a tag in it? And, and so, you know, we, we, we do have to think about some of those things. You know, it cost is still uh, cost is still there in, in that technology. I think, especially on the tag side, um, we've got to we've got to figure out. Um, I think we've got to figure out how how to get that way to um, that way to tag the individual animal. That's probably still keeping us a little bit uh, held back. Um, but it, it's also, Jerry, I think one thing, and, and I can ask you, you know, you've got pig champ or whatever data record keeping you use. When's the last time you really sat down and studied that? You know, and, and so for... for <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's a perfect point because you get all this data and sometimes you're, you're drowning in data. You know, we've got data. But uh, what we need to know is what is the data that I can, how to read and interpret that data, and what are, and what it, what is it telling me? You know, is it telling me that uh, uh, so I can go and figure out, you know, okay, uh, this is an issue, and now I can go to the barn level and say, okay, you know, what's causing this? Why, why is, uh, you know, I know my my performance is 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 going down, so I know I've got an issue. The data's telling me that. But how do I fix that? You know, where is it telling me where the problem is? Yeah. So so I think that's where the technology can help uh, maybe what's limited today, right, is, is we've got all this data. You know, admittedly, we're not spending the time we need because we don't have time, right? There, there's not enough time to study all that data. So that's where I think AI comes in or, you know, that side of it to say, funnel that data into something that's not just storing it, right? I'm not just storing data. I'm analyzing that data and, and giving you an answer, right? And and so I think that's where we'd like to see it. And, and still what needs to happen is that takes a lot of time to train a computer to say, oh, I'm seeing this and that's bad, right? Or this is good. Uh, you know, these are normal. And, and so this is okay. Um, you know, and I think that's probably the step that we really need to get to, and it's going to take some time, but, but the training of the system to, to know when something is out of line and, and, and send that message, um, I think is what it needs because, you know, we're all collecting a lot of data. Um, but is it really being used as effectively as it can be? Um, probably not in, in most situations. But but I think that's where um, the the technology can get us is, is analyzing that data, making decisions, not just storing and and giving you an output that you still have to you know read and think about. Okay, what does this mean? Let let's have the computer at least get us the first couple steps. You know. 100% agree. You know, I always use analogy. It's like, uh, you know, you have a baseball game and, 
the next day you get the the box score and you see how many you know you know who won they scored five runs this team scored four runs but what we need is is uh well could I have changed the pitcher you know uh in the third inning that when would, should I took him out you know maybe he wouldn't give up the next pitcher doesn't give up those mm-hmm. runs so so it's identifying those those uh interventions you know, before and getting, you know, being a little more proactive. So I, I 100% agree. You know, when when is that sound? You know, we need to take her out of the out of the herd. When is she? Uh, you know, what what's happening? You have a mortality. Something happened prior to that. So so understanding, you know, when uh, when we can get these interventions in. Yeah, and and a really good one. And you know, there's systems out there that are that are used already that are recording recording behavior of the animals, recording water intake, recording environment. And, and I've seen some of those systems and a really interesting uh, output that, that, I, that I looked at. And this, again, is once you know there's a problem, then we looked at the data, right? So what's the data tell us after the problem? But it was really interesting, Jerry, because we had a situation where, where in, a, in a facility, the, the ventilation wasn't working uh, that well. A fan, you know, had shut off overnight. Um, and it didn't get caught probably until, uh, you know, mid afternoon the next day. And so the sensors in the barn for ammonia, uh, started to trigger, right. And tell us we had high, higher levels of ammonia than we should have. And when we look back at the data and knowing that this, you know, fan was off for that last, you know, 12 hours, but maybe wasn't working right for a couple days before, and I happened to look at the water intake in that room. And about the time that fan shut off, 12 hours later, water, water started to increase. Water intake in the whole room started to increase. And it's something we didn't notice. We, we weren't watching water intake data. But when we went back on it and looked, you know, the, this barn got high levels of ammonia in the, in the, in the room. And we had water uh, intake spiking as well. And so just another one of those kind of curious things, we got ammonia levels back down. We got a new fan in, we got things up and running. Ammonia comes down, water intake almost drops, you know, right back to normal immediately when the air quality is correct. So the water intake taking a little jump was a sign that something was wrong before we noticed the ammonia levels getting too high in the room. And so it was really interesting, again, just to see where little things, you know, water intake, uh, how much are they drinking? A little thing was telling us something else was going on in the barn. And so that's, again, why I think, you know, not even us humans were catching that one. So the data, the sensors, plugging into a program that can tell us, hey, your water's starting to take off. And I think there's data out there that would suggest water intake starts to go up for a number of different problems. Um, but again, seeing that uh, in real time and then making a decision before, um, the problem actually occurs. I think that's where it's got to get us. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, uh, and use an analogy again, we, we, we got the box score. We know what the score is. We're trying to change the score. So our team wins. <laughs> and so, yeah, we gotta, we gotta have some, some, uh, we gotta have some stuff in real time so we can make decisions and then hopefully, uh, have a more positive outcome at the end. So I, I 100% agree. And, 
maybe in my lifetime, we'll see in my lifetime, but I think it's, it's, it's fast track coming. Uh, and uh, we're definitely going to have to embrace it if we're going to be uh, viable. And, and it speaks to all your, like you said, the sustainability, you know, trying to, uh, we've got to feed better. We, you know, we've got less resources. We, we've got to reduce, uh, reduce our, our, our carbon footprint and uh, just, you know, trying to uh, preserve the, the environment, that the, the planet we live on and trying to be sustainable. So, and I think, like I said, farmers, I think farmers, uh, like I said, uh, are concerned about this. You know, many times we people look at us and like we're uh, we're we're not the evil that we are made out to be. Sometimes we really care about our animals. We care about uh, you know our 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 environment, and we want to do the right thing. So, yeah, it's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Cloud Farms, swine management to the next level. MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. VVC Premix from DSM Ferminiche combines ultra-pure benzoic acid with nature-identical flavorings to safeguard feed and improve performance. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation a worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Adiseo's portfolio of products includes methionine, the full range of vitamins, enzymes, organic selenium, probiotics, mycotoxin management strategies, and palatability products. With such a diverse offering, Adiseo supports its customers with a broad range of expertise, tools, and services to help them maintain a competitive advantage. Adiseo, fueling predictable profits. To learn more, visit Adiseo at www.adiseo.com. You and I talk all day, probably. Uh, <laughs> we get together, but uh, got uh, three questions we always ask our guests. Okay, and uh, I know you have some interesting uh, answers. But uh, first question is: What is your favorite resource uh, that you use? Well, I, I will maybe take an unconventional approach here too, because I am I am not too humble uh, to ask questions. And so um, I think a good thing to do uh, for, for anyone out there um, is, is kind of have your own uh, close group of, of, of directors, uh, as I say, right? Um, and so if, if something's really on my mind, Jerry, I've got a former professor of mine that I call on. I've got some industry friends that I call on. And, um, and I've got a personal friend that doesn't know anything about our industry that is always happy to, to bounce ideas. Right. So, so I have some people that when things are getting me, um, you know, and it, it might be an animal science question. It, it might be a personal question, whatever, but having people that you trust, um, is a great resource. And, and so I try and use people a lot. hundred percent agree. Yep. Uh, and it may be overlapping so into our next question, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, we're only as as smart as the people is our network for for sure. Yeah, we we uh, I got people you know uh, that I can call, and uh, if I got a question, it's, it might take me a day or two to find or a week to find the right answer, but they can tell me in the beginning. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, um, yeah, 
Yeah. And so it may, I may not even find the answer myself. So, uh, I've tried to, I've tried to be, be around people that are really smart. I think I found that works pretty well. And, uh, and uh, I don't have to be smart then. I can just, as long as I know smart people. So, That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so I guess it goes to our next question. You know, looking back in your career, who, what are the, and it may be uh, plural, maybe the most the most influ- influential people that you had, person that you had in your life uh, that helped you uh, in your career? Yeah. Um, yeah, great question there too. Well, I mean, the first one that comes to mind, certainly my parents were, were always motivating me to keep going. You know, my, my dad is the one who made me spend hours in the hog barn. So, um, you know, he, he gave me that first kind of lesson in raising pigs and, and, uh, and, and then, you know, they just pushed me to keep going. Um, Dr. Lee Johnston has, has been one, uh, Minnesota. He was my my master's advisor, and he's been a, a first, a, you know, first a professor, then a mentor, and now a friend. And and that's someone who I think career wise has been very influential for me, and reminding me to to be practical. Uh, I think, and so that was always a a good message. But but that those those are are folks that really shape me, and I'm sure I miss a lot of people when I answer that question, but. But, you know, off the top of my head, those are those are the first two. And, and yes, that is one of those people I call on uh, when I have questions. Yeah, very good. Yeah, last question. Um, what uh, what are the traits or characteristics you think that define successful people in our industry? Uh, and we could say producers, uh, you know, or researchers like yourself. Um, what do you think are those traits, uh, characteristics, those people? Uh, invariably all possess. Yeah, I think to be successful uh, in the industry and and probably in other areas, you know, uh, too, the first one is is being humble, right? Um, I I learned early on, as I mentioned, you you shouldn't be scared to ask a question and, and, you know, you shouldn't feel like um, you're the one that, that knows it all too, right? So, so, and, and that even, you know, working in the industry, a few people I've worked with and good mentors there, one of the first things working with a group of nutritionists, don't bang your head against the wall when you can ask somebody. So, you know, swallow, swallow your pride sometimes and, and, and admit you don't know and, and, and ask and, and instead of taking weeks to get it done. So, so I think that's important. I, I think you, you absolutely today have to uh, embrace change. Uh, I think, you know, to be successful anymore, think outside the box, however you want to state that. But I think you, you have to be willing to embrace change um, and, and because it's always coming. It, it's always coming in our industry. Um, we're going to see more of it. It's, to me, it happens. Change happens even faster now with technology and, and advancing things. So you have to be willing to embrace change. And, uh, and the last one. Um, I think, you know, to be successful is you got to have a little grit. You, you got to be, you got to be able to stick with it, right? Some days you're going to fail and you have to be willing to get out of bed the next day and go right back at it. And, and so that takes, I think, some grit to, to keep going. Yeah. And all those are, uh, totally agree. And, uh, those are, uh, definitely, uh, things that, uh, 
you know, we've got to be, we've got to have that uh, vision to keep looking and for, for, for better ways of doing what we're doing and, and not get complacent. And, uh, and that's why I like, you know, like the, your, uh, you would define all those, I think, you know, uh, I know you're humble, but the, I think you define a lot of that. You're, you're continually looking, and, and you, but you're practical. You know what, you know, it's got to, at the end of the day, it's got to be something that, that makes sense that, that people can use and work in their barns or um, if it makes their life better, if it makes the animals' life, you know, better, we improve the welfare. If we do all these things, you know, we got to keep, we're doing what, we're, we're doing what we need to be doing. You know, we need to just be, be constantly not uh, selling for status quo. And, and, uh, but I, I like your, I like your practicality and, and uh, you know, some of the things that uh, we reflect on sometimes that we don't uh, maybe spend enough time and that we overlook many times. But, uh, but I, I appreciate uh, you being on the podcast today. It's been a, been a pleasure and uh, always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, bounce and hear things and, uh, a good luck on your uh, on your new uh, new venture here, and uh, be looking forward to hearing more of uh, what comes out and uh, seeing the results. Thank you again, Jerry. I appreciate the time, and, and uh, look forward to talking again soon. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.